Anything Combat with Johnny K. Well, it's Anything Combat, though. Welcome back to the Anything Combat show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by an Aussie fighter, fellow Aussie. His name is Jarrett Wilbraham. How are you doing, Jarrett, today? I'm doing great, mate. It's great to be on the show. Love what you do. And yeah, it's an honor to be here. I forgot to mention in the intro that you're a featherweight and your record's seven and two, but see, I still memorized it. I just fucked up the intro. So my first <laughs> question for you is about Hex Series. So what do you think about the organization? Oh, it's been great to fight on, honestly. Um, we all get looked after so well. Anything we need. They're there. You honestly, feel like royalty fighting on that show. So, so well run. The venue's amazing. The crowd's incredible. Uh, I can't really say a bad word about it. Just quickly, let's talk about a topic that I've got a real big issue with. So, first of all, like, uh, I just don't rate Eugene Behrman. Like, I just don't rate what he has to say. Like, I don't like him. Um, he said that the middleweight division was the most prestigious title in the sport. Now, I think that the middleweight division is dog shit compared to every other division in the UFC. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd say that the middleweight division is the most prestigious. Um, I'm trying to think, like, I always thought that the bantamweight division was pretty stacked, but you can't really go past the lightweight division. I think, I think the light weight divisions full of absolute killers and it's the the wrestling capabilities of the fighters in that lightweight division the scrambling capabilities it's just high high level totally agree dude i just have to say like there's like some sort of failure at that weight class i just don't get it because at light heavyweight you have such um, balanced fighters that have wrestling, BJJ, and striking, and I feel like all the all the big welterweights and all the light heavyweights that were like um, beaten all move down to middleweight and just have sort of good takedown defense and then a striking game, and that's about it. I just think it's I just think if you're gonna find the the least amount of skill, I think that you uh, go to the middleweight division. Um, I know that's I know that's a really um, bad thing to say due to the fact that they're all good athletes. I know they're really good. It's just that I feel like flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, lightweight have really just have middleweight to heavyweight. Middleweight and heavyweight are the two worst, I would say. But I just feel like all the other divisions have just proven just the volume and the denseness of talent. Like the talent pool in all these other divisions like you could just go on and on, keep talking about all these up and comers in every division, and I just don't see middleweight with with that talent pool. Like we got we got Bo Nickel, and we got a welterweight Hamza Chamayev going to middleweight, and then the other the other prospects that we have coming up is someone like a Ruzi Boyev. And to be honest, I don't even know if that guy's good. You know what I mean? So how do you feel about that? I think when you have a division where you have a champion who's so dominant, like if you look at the featherweight. Uh, division for example and you look at Volkanovski without him in that division you would probably look at the featherweight division and go oh that's the most stacked division it's so competitive and then you get a guy like Volkanovski come in and just take everybody out and then the narrative suddenly shifts to oh there's you know no good top contenders in that division but it's just when you get someone so skilled I think Adesanya's definitely I feel done a great job of cleaning out that division in a way where 
he's here and everyone else, the level is just, they can't compete with him. So it's kind of hard to tell. And then when you lose a champion, like one of those guys, I think, you know, we see like a shift where everyone's fighting for territory, you know, and then that's when we get the real stacked divisions is more that they're the more evenly matched divisions. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. You said something about Volk just then. That featherweight division. Can we talk about the future of that division? We've got Mozart Evloev, who's 17 and 0. We've got uh, Ilya Tapuria, who's undefeated, basically finished everyone except one fighter. You've got Diego Lopez, who looked really good up against a um, undefeated Mozart. And you've also got Arnold Allen, who's coming off his loss to Max Holloway. But um, to be honest, there's no, there's no, there's no. Um, reason you should say Arnold is bad just because he lost to a top 30 best fighter of all time. So those four guys, out of those guys, who do you think's really going to show that they're um, the best of their generation? Because that's going to be apparent in the next maybe five to six years. Yeah, you know, I was surprised. I thought Arnold Allen was going to be the next big problem in the division. Um, and then he had that loss to Max. So I'd be interested to see him go back to the drawing board and make a few changes because I think he has real potential. He's surrounded by a lot of smart smart guys, smart fighters, um, coaches that are around him. And I think he has a well-rounded, um, well-rounded skill set. But, like, Max is no joke, you know. It just shows how good Volk is to be able to beat him three times like that. But it's almost like Max is now just the gatekeeper. All these young up-and-comers have to go through him to get to Volk. And that's how we compare these up-and-comers now, is however they go off fight against Max, we compare it to Volk. But you got to uh, understand as well that there's different body shapes, different styles. Everybody's got their own ga game plan. MMA math doesn't really work that well. Correct. Now, Max Holloway is taking on Korean Zombie. Is this a mismatch? Will Korean get his head bonked around? Or or do you see him maybe getting a round or two on Max? What is your what is your uh, MMA analyst brain saying for this one? Um, yeah, this isn't going to be a, a not good fight for Korean Zombie. I think it's going to be similar to Volk versus Korean Zombie. Not as bad, but it's going to be similar to that. It, I think it'll be completely one-sided. And I think Korean Zombie will uh, struggle a bit with the foot footwork aspect of fighting. I think he's kind of flat-footed. Um, I don't think he covers distance real well with his striking. He kind of just sits there and wants to throw when you're in the pocket. So I think it's going to be um, not a pleasant one to really watch. Like... Let's be, let's be honest. No one likes watching that bloke get hurt like that. But uh, I think it's going to be the same as the bulk fight. A fan favorite. I don't want to see him get hurt. But with Max, I just really like the fact that during the Arnold fight, he incorporated new tools. Like he really took a more patient, um, patient. Uh, game plan into that fight he didn't really volume strike Arnold because I think Arnold Allen was really ready for that uh, situation and he really just kind of moved around the cage a lot with with just finding precise strikes like do you see a situation where Max Holloway can get the belt in the future because if you look at the ages Max is 31 and Volk is 35 now I know Volk's your boy but after three four years 
Volk, I believe, should call it a quits. He's he's achieved everything in the sport by then, and he'll probably win multiple championships by then. When he's gone, do you see another contender finally being able to beat Max, or do you think Max will uh, finally regain his title that he had for so long? I think he'll regain the title. Uh, you know what, but... I don't know how long Max wants to stick around, really. Like, I know Volk's older than Max, but Max has been fighting in the UFC for a long time. And, you know, he has a lot of star power in his name. He was 19. 19, that's incredible. Jeez, can't even remember what I was doing when I was 19. Like, um, yeah, honestly, I think, um, yeah, I think... I think he can do it, but I think he's better off going and getting another fight, like almost like another fight with Connor or a fight with another Dustin fight or something like that. Just a fight that people want to tune in and watch. I think it's more about him being an entertaining fighter from this point on. He's already proved that he's an entertaining fighter. You've never seen a boring Max fight ever in your life. And at the end of the day, they're the pay-per-view fights and they're the ones that sell sell the, the money. And I, th I think that's where he should go. Yeah, I love that take. What does it mean to you to represent Australia? Oh, it means the world. I love this country. Um, I definitely feel a huge connection to it. I'm proud of being an Australian fighter because when I first got into MMA, I used to look at the local scene and think it was very watered down and very weak. Um, I knew that fighters would come over here to start fighting in Australia because they knew it was an easy place to get fights and an easy place to win fights. And now I think that that narrative's completely changed. I think us Aussies are taken over in a sense. We have incredible striking. I think our mental resilience is stronger than a lot of other countries. We get in there and we fight hard and we always put on a show. And I think the rest of the world's starting to realize that now, which gives us a shot at getting to the top where we deserve to be. Do you think that Aussie MMA is in the most healthy um, point that it's ever been, or do you think that there was a do you think that there was a more superior time for Aussie MMA? Nah, this is it. This is the pinnacle where we're at at the moment. This is um, this is the start of something huge and i think in the next five years there's gonna be a lot of uh, fighters coming out of australia i think the the direction of everyone's attention is going to swing towards us i think they're going to pay more attention to our fights on the local scene i feel that uh just aussies themselves that are into mma are starting to watch us guys fight on the local scene whether it's eternal or hex they're becoming huge shows and you know i think the more eyes on us the more success and the more chances we get question for you who do you like in aussie mma right now there's jack della he's a gun i like jack jenkins's chance at featherweight i just feel like his frame and his striking style is actually really good like i could i think chucking him up against like someone like a barboza would um he would do very well i think he would win that fight you know, so I think that's where his skill level is. I know I'm going on a tangent about Jenkins, but is there another fighter that's Aussie right now in the UFC that you think is going to make big plays? I think Tyson Pedro, uh, he has a huge amount of potential. Uh, he, he was out for a long time with knee reconstruction, I do believe. 
But before that, he was going on a tear. And now that he's back, he looks um, better than ever. I think his last fight, there was something going on behind the scenes that people were unaware of. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but I think that he was like really sick or something like that. And you can't go out and fight um, when you're just not, you know, in the state to be able to fight. So I think he's going to put on a a big show for the world. And I think he's going to climb the, the division very quickly. He's now training over there at City Kickboxing. So I, I believe that there's big things to come for that man. Uh, you just brought up City Kickboxing. Our ANZ friend, Carlos Olberg, he looks like amazing right now. I think that his striking style, he could strike with any light heavyweight right now. Does he hold a belt? Do you believe? Well, it, he has potential. It's very hard to, it's very hard to say when these guys just crack into the UFC, it's very hard to see how they're going to go until they start fighting those guys in the top 15, top 10 of the division. I feel that there is a huge uh, skill gap between, you know, just UFC fighters and then fighters that are very successful in the UFC. So it's very hard for me to say that at the moment, but look at him, look at him at the moment. He's just touching people and putting them to sleep. And when someone has that amount of power in their hands, they can go anywhere with the sport. Look at Sean O'Malley. Look what he just did last weekend. That man's got sleeping pills in his hands. Yeah, no, that was crazy. Just a comment I want to touch on is that with Carlos, he only has one loss, and that's against Kennedy uh, in in Tsuchuku. I don't know how to say his name, right? But in that fight, he cracked Kennedy and almost finished him. There hasn't been a single fight Carlos has ever been where he didn't almost, almost dominate or dominate his opponent. So I just think, like, when it comes to a purely, like, MMA uh, math. I know it doesn't work. Just from what I've seen, there hasn't been a single singular opponent to stand there and be able to strike with him. And I think that's a really telling uh, point that when he gets to the higher uh, upper echelon of the division, I don't think it will be a little bit more competitive, but I don't think it will be competitive. I think it will be like an Adesanya level of striking at light heavyweight. Do you, do you rate that analysis or do you think that there's a hole there? No, no, I think that analysis is perfectly correct. I think all I want to see is him just put on his back and just see how he gets back up from off his back because those guys, no doubt, are the elite um, of the striking in the UFC. Anyone at City Kickboxing, you know that they're going to have very elite striking. It's just, you just want to see how they handle like a, a black belt, how a brown belt, when you do get pinned on the ground, you want to see them get back to their feet and bring that fight back to where they are. Adesanya, he's like a god. He doesn't even get put on his back. Like that's the thing about him. He rarely. How many times does he hit the canvas? We can count. But his takedown defense is so good that I just hope that Carlos can repeat that because if he can, he's going to be a dangerous man. What was that feeling training with Volk and just working with him in general? What insight can you tell us about his mental and his just fight IQ and ability? He just lives and breathes the sport. To him, he doesn't make it out to be something that it's not. You see him going through a weight cut, going through the grind of camp. That's just him getting in there and just getting it done. He's just got to do what he's got to do. I really took that away from him. A lot of people like to make it out to be something that it's not, but he really doesn't do that. Um, 
he has a mind that's different from anyone that I've ever met. The way that he looks and analyzes the game and explains things to you. It's like, he'll explain concepts to me that I'm like, oh, wow, I've never even thought of it, thought of it like that. And being around him and training with him is, I'm blessed because it's like I get a half an hour long seminar off him every day where he just goes down the rabbit hole of just technique after technique. And he knows, obviously he can see that I'm obsessed with the sport. So if you're willing to listen and willing to learn from him, he will give you everything he can. He will never hold back. Once he sees you pick up one technique, here's the next one. Here's the next one. And from there, you just grow and grow and grow. So I can't say a single bad thing about that man. He's an absolute legend. And, you know, I get to train with my hero. So it's unreal. I believe that he's the cover of UFC 5. Does he deserve it? Hell yeah, he deserves it. I, I believe that he does for sure. I'm biased though, aren't I? I would love to see that. Imagine that UFC five, the video game across the whole globe, and it's just Volkanovski, dude. That would, that's literally Australia's representative, man. Hundred percent. Hey, he deserves to be on the cover. I I think if you're gonna pick someone, a character to use in that game, you're gonna pick him, right? You know, he'd have the highest statistics. He'd have excellent takedown defense, incredible ground game, elite level striking and speed and power. You got to put him on the cover. How can you not? So we were talking about Sean O'Malley just before, and that one punch hit a quitter against Aljo. Now, did I see that coming? Not at all. I did not pick that one. But I do have to say, this sport goes by fight by fight. You you analyze what the fight means. The Aljo and and uh, Sean fight. You analyze it. Why? Who's going to win? How are they going to do it? What round? Whatever. Whose skills are better? Right after the fight takes place, then you reanalyze um, where you thought those that person's skill was. Now, Sean's skills from the tape. Maybe he was in a position where he wasn't taking it as seriously because it wasn't a really, really good opponent. Like it wasn't uh, like he wasn't in there with a world champion. Because when we saw him with Piotr Jan, he did exceptionally well, and he always rises to the occasion. From the takeaway I got from that Aljo fight was that the second Sean really needs to focus and actually use his real skills, he he is the he is the world champion, and I see him beating Marab Devalashvili. I truly do. From yeah. what I saw, I feel like Marab would be too slow for him, and I feel like that takedown. The problem there was that, oh, you know, these guys have really good cardio and these guys can just keep on taking you down if you, um, if you, you know, if you stuff the first one, they'll go for the second one and they'll do the combat Thambo chain wrestling mechanisms and systems. And I feel like he has somehow, I don't know how he did it, maybe his fight IQ is up there. I think he's cracked the code of that. I feel like when you do a takedown on him, I think that he's, ability to disengage from the first takedown um stops the chain wrestling system from taking place in the first place seeing this how slow aljo looked in there and sean's reaction speed being that fast i feel like marab's a little bit slower than aljo and i think that um i think he knocks out aljo with a knee or sorry knocks out marab with a knee or a similar uppercut or hook whatever it is i think that he gets it done 
What do you think about that analysis just with Sean's skill level currently and that next uh, championship fight that he will have after Cheeto Vera? He'll have to fight Cheeto, which we all know he's going to beat, and then Marab. Like, how do you feel about that matchup? I think your analysis was on point. Uh, I could probably add onto it a little bit more. This is something that I've realized from training over the years, and it's, I guess it's a little bit of a secret that's not so much of a secret now that I tell people, but I believe the best takedown defense is to just never have yourself in a position where your opponent can shoot. And that's why I believe Sean had so much success against Aljo because his lateral movement is probably some of the best in the game, right? He can square up his stance and he can start sidestepping like this. Very hard to shoot on a guy when they're going to move laterally. If they're going to move straight back, sure, you can shoot on them and get a hold of a leg. But if a guy's going to sidestep and move sideways, it's very hard to like lock on and shoot that takedown. So Sean was able to implement that quite well against Aljo to never really give him the opportunities. And then when Aljo did get him against the cage, Sean's a tall guy. So just like Adesanya, if you can get like that overhook on a guy and bring him up high off the legs, it's very hard for them to get their wrestling offense off on the wall. And I believe that that is the best takedown defense you can have is just to never be put in a position to take down. Then when you add his uh, skill set of his knockout power and the ability to strike off the back foot, which nobody has, rarely anyone striking off the back foot these days, and something I study a heap, that's dangerous fighter. That's a very dangerous fighter. And yeah, I do believe Marab, he'll run into something. Sean will catch him. You brought up there, I even wrote it down so I didn't forget, you said striking off the back foot. One fighter that does this excellently is Michael Venom Page. I believe he's going to fight in the UFC and that they've signed him. Now, the first fight that he's eyeing, one fighter that doesn't have a fine welterweight that's calling him out on Twitter and they're talking, is Shabkat Rachmanov. Now, what do you think? what do you think of Michael Venom Page striking off the back foot in the UFC and that matchup against Shavkat. What do you see there? Yeah, I see um, Michael Venom Page getting an early finish, to be honest. I think that's a good fight for the UFC to set up. I know they don't like to put two prospects together because they're kind of just, um, they like to hedge their bets. It, it kind of stalemates the division. Yeah, I understand. Yes. But I do see um, holes in Shavkat's, um game where he doesn't move his head off the center line and he's, he keeps his head in one position at all times and, and and if you got a guy like Michael Venom Page that throws spinning shit powerful shit, closes distance like that quick how's he going to move his head when he doesn't move his head anyway yeah I, I totally agree that Jeff Neal fight you really kind of like opened my eyes to that the only thing that I that I really saw with the Shavkat MVP matchup is that I saw that Shavkat has kind of underrated grappling. When he needs to uh. use it, it looks excellent, right? Um, he's striking. He really does kind of a Yuri type of fighting where he doesn't really move his head and he wants to take those shots to land his shots. Now, uh -huh. I don't know how far that can possibly take you. It's a very risky way to fight. So I understand what you're saying there. I brought up the fact that when he gets... Um, put in a position to use his grappling, it looks exceptional. The person that trained Shavka for a little bit was actually Abdulmanap Namagamedov. He actually oh, worked yeah. with the Namagamedov family for um, a very long time. So 
So his grappling is very underrated. And this brings me to my next topic, which is judo and sambo in MMA. What do you see there? Are you incorporating that into your game? Yeah, I would say, I would say that like judo is one of the most underlooked, um, martial art forms in the, in MMA, but like how many times in a fight do two guys clinch up in the middle of the cage while standing? So I think that that is something that should be incorporated into your game. You should have a certain level of trips. Um, you should understand that sort of, uh, understand that sort of aspect of martial arts. But like when it comes to Sambo, Sambo is pretty much just turned into like MMA really. So you're just not wearing like a, a gi. So it's, it's, yeah, I would say that that's definitely a style that we incorporate, but you know, Sambo doesn't work at our gym. Why doesn't Sambo work? What? Because of the gi. Can't you, can't you use some, uh, like positional strats from it? Now, nah, just like Sambo didn't work against Volk, so how's it going to work against the rest of us? <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. I watched your fight. I saw you throw like a spinning wheel kick or some crazy shit. What's your favorite kick to throw? Oh, that's my signature, that one. I throw it every fight. I put hours into that kick, man. Hours. Like, you got no idea. I The way that I filter through techniques that I'm going to use is like, the first thing is, does it look fucking cool? And then if I tick that box and it looks cool, I'm like, all right, we'll keep that in the toolbox. So I do work on the basics, but I like, I really like, you know, techniques that people go, or I remember, so you remember my spinning back kick, but if I just threw jabs and crosses all fight, you, you're not going to point out my excellent jab. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. Don't you think it's a little bit risky, though? Uh, I think the way that I've analyzed it and understood how to throw it, it's probably the safest technique that I can throw because it's at such a long range that I throw it from. And I throw it from, I don't want to give too much away, but I throw it when I know that it's going to land and they can't really do much to to get their offense off it. I rarely miss. Yeah, so I want to ask you, I know we keep on talking about Volk, right? And I know you and me are both biased because we're Australian, but let's try and be unbiased for the next topic. I, I, if, if I thought Max Holloway was moving up to lightweight, I would be as unbiased as possible. And I would say Charles Oliver, Islam Makachev beat him handily, right? I just feel like Volk is the worst matchup for Charles Oliveira as well as Mislam Makachev, and I feel like that was proven in their previous fight, which under Pride rules, Volk totally won that fight on mm -hmm. damage. So how do you feel about the potential rematch with Makachev? Or if Charles gets it done, Volk's already, they're going to make that Volk-Charles fight because it's perfect for the money. Yeah, I think Volk-Olivera, I think that's not a good fight for Olivera at all. I remember, uh, remember when Volk went over to Perth when, uh, Oliver and Makashev were facing off and he was like the replacement fighter Oh, he flew overseas to be the replacement fighter. So yeah. So I was like helping him with some of the looks in that fight, like trying to be Charles Oliveira, like spar like Charles Oliveira. And it was like the worst thing ever for sparring Volk like Charles Oliveira. So 
I just don't think that that's, um, that fight's going to go well for Charles. I think when we go and look at the Islam fight, I feel that through the media and or in the lead up to that fight, everyone just kept saying to Volk, you know, how are you going to deal with the strength? How are you going to deal with the size and all that sort of thing? And obviously he had to be cautious of that. And I think that's why it took him a little bit to get going in the fight. But now that he's been in there with Islam and he knows what his strength is and he knows how big his size is and Volk realizes he's just as strong as him and just as big as him, really, I think that Volk's going to just um, be more aggressive in that fight and really bring it to him and not worry about that takedown. Volk will know that he'll get back to his feet. And I feel that Islam's going to be trying to play the fight safe because Volk was hurting him and Volk put fear in that man. So... I feel that the rematch, and as we've seen with Volk, every time he's have a, have a rematch, like with Max, he just gets better and better every time. That's unbiased. I totally did not think about that, the whole rematch aspect. There's some fighters that are just horrendous in rematches. The closest fight that Volk had with Max was when they woke him up, like, two hours or three hours before he was supposed to be woken up because of whatever the fuck USADA was doing stupid, right? But there's uh, some fighters that in a rematch, it's like, it's it's fucking hell to rematch them. Like, John Jones will analyze you, make it look even easier than the first one. And I didn't even think about Volk being that type of fighter. Now that you bring that up, I'm even more confident. If that sports bet pops up as $3, underdog Volkanovski, are we are we are we cashing out our bank accounts? Is that what we're doing, mate? I'm putting my in, my entire twelve hundred dollars on that. <laughs> um, when did you realize you had a knack for MMA analysis? I was watching some of your clips with Dan Hardy and Carlos Condit, and that's just a random fight that I knew of, and I watched, and I I looked at you, I looked at your analysis, and I went, "Why is this guy breaking down the most random fight ever?" And I loved it. But yeah, just um, when did you realize you were good at it? Because I'm just obsessed with it. I can't switch my brain off. It's it's good. It's also problematic for my life. I think I'm kind of like a bit ADHD. And if I like something, I just give all my energy to it. So I couldn't even keep up with all the study that I was doing. And I thought, you know what? Why not share a bit of this with people out there? Because the thing about in our country, I feel in Australia is I'll talk to people and I'll be like, oh, I'm training with Volkanovski. And they're like, who? And I'm like, like the greatest sports person in the world. You know, they don't even know who he is. So I wanted to enlighten people on the sport of MMA and show them it's not just a bloody barbaric sport. It's a technical chess game. And that's why I first got into it was to teach people that didn't know about the sport, the aspect of it. Now, then as I went into it, other fighters on the local scene reach out, said I was helping them a lot. Then it got to the point where like UFC fighters are reaching out to me, telling me that I'm helping them out a lot and that they take some of the stuff I do and drill it. And that to me was like, wow, I really do have a good mind for this sport. So I want to share a lot of that. Obviously, I, I, I learn a lot from the places that I've trained in the past and I learn a lot from um, Joe Lopez and Alex Volkanovsky, and I don't want to, I don't, I, I look at MMA through the lens that they've given me, but I can filter it out and not give their secrets out to the population. I can still look at it through the lens of how I see it, 
and through my own study, I can still explain aspects without giving away too much. And I do a lot of my own um, training at home, like a lot. I, do, I pretty much, whatever hours I do in the gym, I do at home and I can't keep up with it all. So I like to put a lot of it out on the internet and I can go back through and look at it myself. Totally worth it. It looks wonderful. Keep it up. We were Thank talking you. about fact or good. We were talking about the fact that we're unbiased, right? As commentators, we're unbiased. Now, one guy that I really like, but I believe is going to lose his next fight is Jack Della Maddalena. We just brought him up before. Now, he's fighting Kevin Holland. Now, from my perspective, Kevin has come into his own. This is his um, 19th or 20th fight or something in the UFC in, um, I don't know, the dude's like 30. Like, how do you have that many fights? It's ridiculous, right? Wow. So he fights all the time. I feel like Kevin's really come into his own and he's now finishing people that, that he, to be honest, um, are difficult to finish. He's finishing him in, he's looking at where they're weak and finally taking it to them. I believe after the Wonder Boy fight, if hopefully hopefully he sticks to his word, he's kind of he's kind of made his uh, MMA game to let me just finish the opponent. I think that he's got every single characteristic of a champion, in my opinion. BJJ black belt, insane striker, good cardio for twenty five minutes, uh, long, powerful. He's got everything going for him. The only thing that he didn't have was that fight IQ. And now that I feel like he's tweaking that with his age popping into his prime, I think that he's going to be, if he, if he sticks on this trajectory, I see him holding the championship. And I think that Jack Della Maddalena is in the wrong place in the wrong time. And I feel like Kevin Holland, if it's a three-rounder, either wins by decision or knockout. Or submission, to be honest. Like, I want to break it down and pick one in particular, but I can't really. How do you feel about that fight? Do you think Kevin Holland beats him or do you do you think I'm looking at this a little bit wrong? Well, yeah, from an analysis point of view, uh, JDM, he really does like to get in the pocket and get hit, right? And he likes to take one and give a few back and he likes to turn it into a dog fight. And Holland, Holland doesn't engage in fights like that. The other thing about Holland is I think he has one of the most underrated right hands in the entire game. Like, I would probably say he's got the second best right hand. I think Sean O'Malley has the best right hand in the game. But his cross is like a whip. When he lets that thing go, it cracks you. And he throws it like a jab. So I think he can catch uh, Jack with that. But I think Jack has to really make it a, a real grimy fight for him to have some success in the boxing. And then when you're talking submission, I have seen um, Jack in and Dallas choke before. Uh, he did get out, but um, Holland does have an exceptional Dallas choke. So I don't know what the odds are, but Holland, I would def Holland would obviously be the favorite in that fight. Um, but Jack has the mental toughness and resilience to really make it that dog fight. But Holland is a very big step up for him and a very, very hard task. Not saying he can't do it, but it's going to be difficult. What was the hardest fight of your career? Like this could be mental or could be physical. What do you think was the fight that really is the kicker that during the fight you were like, fuck me, this is a struggle? Yeah, that was my last fight that I had on Hex. I fought uh, Brad Ramsey's from New Zealand. And 
I didn't know what happened in the fight, but I started to really not feel good from first round pretty much onwards. I felt drunk, dizzy, um, lightheaded, felt like I was going to pass out mid-fight. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I'd had like internal um, bleeding, like I'd had like a rupture internally, and I was battling that the whole fight. How did you do that? I think I got hit, kicked or caught with something at some point. Um, it's something that I've sorted out now, but yeah, it was just, I can't really explain it. Obviously we get with Melbourne, they only give us a 24 hour weigh in. So we're still fighting pretty depleted and we're all dehydrated. And then if you add in like internal bleeding into the mix, that's just going to create a state of extreme dehydration. And I was battling that in the fight, which was leaving me confused, um, just not feeling good. At one point, I had punches whizzing past my head, and I was like, I don't even care if I get knocked out. But I just kept realizing, look, why are we here? I'm here for my career. I'm here for the people that support me, my team. And I just continued to fight through it. I tried to make it a boring fight. I tried to just get him on the ground and just hang on to him. I just didn't want to even strike him. I just wanted to grind out the fight. Uh, just have it finished and I thought it was the most boring fight ever but apparently it wasn't I still got fight of the night for it but just fighting like that was just a good experience now that I look at it because I could know I can fight through situations like that I ended up in hospital for 36 hours after it and it was a it was a good but bitter feeling That is crazy, dude. How much sauna and ice bath work do you do? Man, what's the point? <laughs> no, I, honestly, I'll be honest. Um, I sat down, I went to a fitness expo and I sat down, listened to a guy do a big speech on ice baths and recovery. And the thing about an ice bath is it removes the inflammation from your body, right? Which makes you feel a lot better. But Inflammation is also the thing that heals your body and helps your body recover. So we're, we're removing the very th thing that helps our body rejuvenate and recover. So I don't think that an ice bath is necessarily beneficial to an MMA athlete or even a bodybuilder who's trying to build muscle. But for the average person that goes to the gym and feels sore, I think ice baths, um, that's good for, for you, but... I'm not really that into um, sauna and ice baths at all. What was the period in your life where you experienced the most amount of growth in your MMA game and the most amount of success you found in the gym and then performance? Yeah, well, I had my first loss. I was 5-0 and and I went over and fought Cody Haddon in Perth. Fight fell through and I took that fight, had two, um, two weeks to prepare for him. Went out there, fought like absolute shit, ended up getting TKO'd. And I just realized that I had to improve and I had to get better. And I think that decision pushed me to then go and train with the guys at Freestyle. And I also did a lot of internal work and realized a lot of things about myself because I was always getting into fights when I was younger um, from terrible circumstances. But when I used to fight people back then, it used to be like, 
I'd get in a fight. I was like, fuck you. I don't want to be your friend. And I was literally there to hurt the person and win the fight. And then somehow through my fighting career, that all changed. And I would walk in completely calm. Oh, I, I like the person. I don't need to dislike the person to fight them. And I was just too calm. And like when I got in that fight with Cody and he's putting it on me, I'm like, oh shit, I'm not even ready for this. So that was a switch in my mental game for looking at it like if you want to win a fight you go in and take the win you don't figure out a way to win you go in and just take it and then up leveling my skills by training with the guys at freestyle that was the biggest thing physically for me was to learn the skills like that topology is a site that i absolutely love but they stuff things up consistently they don't have your name they don't have your age specified so how old are you when were you born dude i'm pretty old um i'm born in 1993 so i'm 30 years old just turned 30 so yeah i feel like i'm running out of time in a way like i know i'm happy where i am but People don't know this, but I didn't have any amateur fights. I went straight to professional and I had to take a lot of time off to get better because I knew everybody ranked above me was a lot better than me. So I never really got the fighting experience to just like fight, fight, fight like I would want to. So I've had to play the game smart. So I'm at a skill level now where I'm ready, but I just want to, I still haven't felt myself in there yet. I just haven't been in there and I'm like, that's me. Like, how I spar in the gym. I've never gone into a fight and done that before. What's your weight cut like? It's pretty good. I was cutting a bantam weight and it was hell. I was cutting a lot of weight, big bantam weight. I'm nearly just short of five foot 11. So like Sean O'Malley at bantam weight. Um, it wasn't good. I made the decision with help from the fight dietitian to go up to featherweight. And that was the best move I ever made. I can now take hits. I can, I have cardio for days. And I, I, have a, I have a real good weight where I just cut weight for a couple of weeks, diet, and then I just easily make the weight. So it's great where I'm sitting. I have an interesting question for you. Hypothetical scenario. Prime Brock Lesnar is inserted into the current heavyweight UFC top 15 picture. How do you see him performing? And would he win the championship, yes or no? Yeah, he gives he gives give guys some grief. Um how many, there aren't many heavyweights these days that are confident in just shooting a double leg. Like Curtis Blades, he had it. I was like, that man's going to be the champion. And then he suddenly got in there and got all hesitant and just waited to get hit. And then you can't wait for a heavyweight to hit you. But I don't think Lesnar would beat Jones. What do you think about, what do you think about UFC 293? You've got Adesanya versus Strickland. Can you break this fight down for us? Yeah, people are asking me what my prediction um, is for that fight. And I think whatever Adesanya chooses, he can get him out of there early or he can play with his food for five rounds before he finishes him. Um, Strickland's just going to keep walking into the danger zone. Izzy has a long range and and Strickland's just going to keep walking into the leg kicks, walking into the punches. I would like to see him just go out there and just shoot takedowns because I think that's the only hope he has. And the reason I want to see that is I want to. Re I really like watching Izzy defend takedowns. It'll give me something to go back and study and learn learn from. Jarrett, how often do you go fishing? 
<laughs> oh man, not as much as I'd like to. I'd probably say once every two weeks. <laughs> What's the worst job you've ever had? I worked at Macca's. That was, I hated that. That was hell, man. That was honestly hell. Do you have a McDonald's story for us? Uh, McDonald's story? Oh, I nearly got fired because this little annoying kid kept harassing me and he just wouldn't go away. And I was like, mate, look, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. And he's like, I have rights to do whatever I want. And he stood there. So I just blasted him with a hose and soaked him wet. And he had a um, big sook. But, you know, if it was 2023, I would have got fired. But thank God it wasn't. What's your favorite era in the UFC or or MMA in general? There's the 80s era, the 90s, the 2000s. Then they had that era with um, when all the champions were dominant, you know, like Jones, GSP, Anderson, Dominic Cruz, that type of era. And then, you know, like um, the 2010s and stuff. And then now, what do you think is your favorite era of, of MMA right now? I think the era that leaves the biggest mark on me would be back in your days of the Chuck Liddell and, you know, Tito Ortiz, Matt Hughes, GSP, Forrest Griffin, you know, Stephen Bonner. They were the days when, I don't know if you had Fuel TV on Ozstar, but they used to show it on Fuel TV and we, as kids, would stay up late and, like, watch channels that we weren't supposed to be watching. And we just watched like top 50 UFC knockouts and every knockout we'd be like, oh, that was crazy. So yeah, little did I know one day I'd be um, competing in the same sport. So it left a big mark on me. Did you used to watch Toasted TV back in the day? Yeah, Toasted TV. I did. <laughs> How old are you? How old are you? How old are you? I'm 20. No way, you're 20. Damn. These a good decade older than you. You don't, you don't look, you don't look it though. Oh man, um, I can't tell you the secrets, but yeah, yeah, I um, I don't get hit often. Yeah, <laughs> no, I do. My mum looks really young for her age, so I'm lucky to have her genetics. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for watching, Jarrett. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there any final remarks you want to say to the fans at home before we wrap up the podcast today? I just want to say this has been like one of the funnest podcasts that I interviews that I've been involved in. So any other like fighters, if you get the opportunity to jump on here, do it. Like Johnny, you're the man. I appreciate it, dude. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're making me blush, mate. You're making me blush. Um. <laughs> Follow Jarrett on Instagram, link in the description, and subscribe to Anything Combat on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.